41 is what we're considering uh, this morning. I was speaking uh, to Abby. Now, she doesn't know I'm going to mention her. I was speaking to Abby last Sunday. Uh, and, and Abby, of course, is a paramedic. And she was telling me that in order uh, to drive uh, as a paramedic in the UK, uh, she has to do another special driving test. Now, it teaches you what you say to the pastor, doesn't it? But sometimes you have to be careful what you tell them. Uh, and like all driving tests these days, uh, it's, it's in two parts. It's theory and practical. Uh, if you're old enough, um, you wouldn't have had to sit uh, a, a test at all to drive uh, uh, in, in, uh, in this country. If you're a little younger than that, uh, you, you'll have had to have uh, a, a practical test. And if you're, uh, well, since I was 17, uh, you, you've, had to, you've been required to, to first of all sit in this country uh, a theory test at a computer. Uh, and uh, nobody really has ever much trouble with that. Uh, you, you can sort of root learn it. Uh, you can treat it like, like a memory test. And then the trouble, of course, comes with the next part. Because once you've done with the theory, uh, you have to get into the car uh, with uh, the examiner. The disciples have just been given a block of theory uh, in, in Mark chapter 4. Uh, they've, they've listened to four parables about, uh, about the kingdom of God. They've listened to a lesson from the soil. They've listened to a lesson from hidden things that have now been revealed. Uh, they've listened to, to a parable of, of a lamp that uh, has to be lifted up to reveal and then uh, to be revealed. And of course we know that in the parables the, the disciples have, have received the, the, the explanation. They've, they've been given uh, the, the, the explanation of the parable where others have not. They've been taught the theory. In other words, they've been taught it well. And now it's time for the practical test. And the test is not in a car, but in a boat. It's, it's in a storm, in a boat, a boat like this. And where life is not about to get rosy for the friends of Jesus, it's about to get really difficult. Really difficult. Some Christians um, think that, that if life is difficult for them, or probably more likely for, for some other believer that they come across, that it's because that, that they've been wayward and are being disciplined by God. And that's possible. That's possible. There are plenty of examples in the Bible uh, where God chastens the one he loves. Uh, think about um, Hebrews 12, verse 10, which tells us that God disciplines his children for our good and so that we may share his holiness. Hebrews 12 verse 10. Or think about, uh, and everyone knows this one, the Old Testament prophet Jonah. You remember Jonah, he, he gets a message from the Lord, doesn't he? Uh, and, and the will of God is clearly outlined to him, it's go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. Go to the Ninevites to, to warn them uh, that, that destruction is coming in 40 days. And he decides what to do with God's word. That he decides that it's not for him. He's like that seed falling on the path a few weeks ago. You remember? He decides to reject. He decides to reject the good things of God and go in a completely different direction. And he gets into a boat. And he heads for Tarshish. And as he travels, God sends a storm to remind him who he belongs to. Uh, to remind him who's in charge of the life of a believer. Uh, to, to get him back on track. That's Jonah. But, but of course, that's not the case here in Mark chapter 4, is it? Because in verse 35, we're told that the evening has come. And Jesus specifically says to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. 
He leads them into the storm. He, 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 walks, them into, he walks them to the boat. Let us go. I mean, does he not know that, that the weather is going to be bad? Yes, it's, it's well known that uh, the Sea of Galilee is the meteorological equivalent of a person with major mood swings. The Sea of Galilee is like that. You know, one minute it's calm, and the next minute it's, it's, it's a raging storm. Surely Jesus knew this piece of local knowledge. Perhaps Jesus was just caught out, you know? But no, <laughs> Jesus was not caught out. As, as he shows in the coming miracle, he hasn't been caught out. That this evening, this is the evening item on the curriculum. This is the test. At the end of a busy day's teaching, this is the test in, 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 the, practical, in the practical terms. Jesus knows there's a storm coming. Uh, it's there for several reasons, which the, the, the text clearly shows us. It's there to teach them, isn't it? What do they call them when they wake them? They say, teacher. It's, it's pre-planned. It, it's there to test them, and we'll see how they've, how they've performed later. And it's there to show the glory of God in the face of Jesus. It's there to, to, to show us another, another piece in the jigsaw of, of who is this in Mark's gospel. It's another piece in the jigsaw. In chapter 1 they were asking, what is this? And now they're, they're asking, who then is this? In verse 41. Jesus leads the disciples right into it. Into the storm for their good uh, on all of these levels. The, the storm, it, it, the test is a storm. It's, it's not a storm of discipline uh, for, for the wayward like with Jonah, but, but, but a storm of testing. Do you notice it's a major storm, isn't it? It's not minor, it's, it's great. It's a great enough storm to put fear into experienced fishermen. They've seen a storm or two in their day, but they're in great fear. I wonder, can you see a storm in your life in that way? I wonder, can you, can you pre-plan uh, to see a, a trial which comes in the future uh, that way? I wonder, well, it may be a matter of discipline, but, but, but it's almost always a matter of testing, isn't it? A test to pass for the follower of Jesus. A test that Jesus has led you into for good reasons. Now, we've looked at the test. What about the examiner? That's the next point. Well, Jesus begins to go on the front foot here. He's been rejected and renounced by, by people. He's been called a devil. And now he begins to really show who he is. He, he leads the disciples on a, on, a, on a journey to the other side. The, the lake, the Sea of Galilee, that's what that means. The other side of the sea. And no sooner are they in the boat than, than Jesus is he's asleep. He, he's in the back of the boat. He's in the stern. He's found himself a cushion to lay his head on. Do notice a man who is real. A man who is real. We have a, a real eyewitness account here. That this is no third hand information. This is no legend. John Mark, that's the writer of Mark. Has listened closely to, to Peter, who we believe is his source, uh, who, who was actually there, Peter, and saw the very cushion that Jesus lays his head on. It's, it's not vital to the story, really, but it's just an incidental detail, but a detail that's not mentioned in Matthew's account or Luke's account of the same. 
But it shows us that somebody was there. Someone who remembers it for the sake of people in the future, like us. Someone who witnessed this with his own eyes. That was a real man he was looking at. And notice that, that Jesus gets tired. He, he's, got, he's got real muscles that, that ache if he, if he overuses them. He's got, he's got a real brain that, that needs, needs some downtime. He, he's got real legs that need to take, he needs to take the weight off from time to time, just like you or I might have to. The last question at the end makes it clear. Who then is this? He, he's, he, he's not a what, he's a who. He's a man. A real walking, talking person. Just as he was, in verse 36, shows us that there, there's, there's no break between the teaching during the day, the parables to the crowds uh, at length, and this evening trip that's seven or ten miles across the lake in a boat. And Jesus needs a rest. The examiner is a man who is real. He's also a man who is at rest. You see it there? As the tempest begins to pick up, as the wind roars, as as the sea lashes the side of the boat, as the boat begins to take on water, where's Jesus? He's asleep. Again, we're back to Jonah, aren't we? Jonah is asleep in the storm, too, in the back of the boat. And aren't they just the same? Well, no, they're not. Because for the second time this morning, we see someone who is not Jonah. Because Jonah is asleep, running from the will of God. He knows what he's meant to do, and he decides to reject it. Jesus always does the will of God. That's part and parcel of who he is. Something Jesus the man always does, perfectly. What God says. Jonah is asleep and he's got a false sense of security. He's clearly got an ability to ignore God and yet, and yet rest and sleep like this. I mean, that's a dangerous place. That's a dangerous place. But Jesus is asleep because he's at rest in God's will. He, he, he's, not, he's not afraid. He, he, he's not in a panic. He, he knows that God is in control. He, he knows that there, there's a great demonstration of God's power coming. Unlike the disciples, they put it down to something that they imagine is is a lack of care. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're expecting him to to be panicking. They're expecting him to be at least awake. But he's not. He's a man who's real. He's a man who's at rest. And he's also a man who is God. A man who is God. Now let's not lose this in the fact that this is a well-known story told to children. Jesus is in the boat. He's asleep in the boat. And when he's wakened, the storm is raging. And what does he do? He wakens up. And he rebukes the wind, we're told. He speaks then to the waves. Like you might speak to your children. Or probably better, how you would speak to a wild animal. Or maybe like me, your children sometimes appear to be like wild animals. Jesus says, be quiet. Be quiet. Be still. Peace be still, it says in the English Standard Version, which we read. I mean, who gets to do that? This is a special man. Uh, We we know this from our Northern Northern Ireland uh, bemoaning of the weather, which is practically an institution in this country. The best we can do is, oh please, don't let it rain. I've just put the washing out. 
That's about as close as we can come to this. But when the, when the Giro d'Italia cycle race came to Northern Ireland in 2014, there was plenty of, uh, of uh, optimism about the, the great advert it would be for the North Coast, and which heavily featured in it, but it, it rained the whole time. It was almost a complete washout. There are, there are plans uh, in place to, to float a, a carbon fibre platform the size of a jumbo jet over the stadiums in Qatar at the World Cup in 2022. To act like a giant fake cloud to, to, to cool the temperature. But that's just a block. It doesn't stop the weather because you can't. When it comes to the weather, we really can't do anything about it. Only God can do this. Only God can speak like this to the wind and to the waves. Controlling nature is actually a couple of notches up on on exorcisms and healings as far as the the disciples were concerned. That's like, whoa. Only the one who created the world can control such a thing. Only God can do this in the Old Testament. Remember, that's the Bible for the disciples. That's, that's, the, that's the word of God that they can read. Listen to Job 28. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure. When he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning and of the thunder. It's God who can do this. And the sea, well, as far as the people of Jesus Day are concerned, that's, that's like the graveyard. It's the place that if you went in there, you didn't come out of. As far as the Hebrew mind was concerned, it was completely random and out of all control of people. Listen to Psalm 107. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Who did it? It was the Lord. It has to be. It has to be the Lord. It's nobody else. It can't be. Think about the dividing of the Red Sea. That great sign miracle of the Old Testament. That sort of marker that said... God is with us. Psalm 106 says he rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. Jesus is on the front foot. As he wakes and rebukes the wind and speaks to the sea, they both listen to him. You see it there? They listen to him and they listen to him immediately. It's not half an hour while they, they sort of wait to see that it calms down, you know, and you could maybe put it down to Jesus. You could maybe put it down to just the way it was going to be. Not at all. Immediately, the winds, the big wave becomes small waves, and Peter's out, just like that. The wind stops, and it's calm immediately. The contrast is great. It's great storm to great calm. That's the way Mark puts it. Jesus clearly has authority. It's clear what's being demonstrated. This is not in theory, this is in practice. God has Jesus has God's authority. He must be God. In most uh, events uh, where Jesus' power and authority uh, 
his, his deity are, are on display, that he's God, frequently uh, we're not allowed to forget that he's also a real man. That's the way the gospel authors often do it. They don't want us to lose our balance, if you like. Uh, they want us to see that absolutely he's 100% God, but don't lose the tension that he's also a real man. That's what's going on here, who, a real man who sleeps and who, who gets tired. But what about the results of this test? The results are in. When the storm ends, the results are back. We discover the full nature of the test. In verse 40, there are two results stated by Jesus, which are both put as questions. And Jesus laments two things. He laments the disciples' fear, and he laments their lack of faith. In verse 40, there are two fears, of course, in this section. There's the fear of drowning. That's a, that's a bad fear, okay? An inhibiting fear. Uh, it's, uh, you know, th- think about it. If, if this is the, the coming kingdom of God, if this is, if this is the Lord of, of, of all things, the Lord of the Sabbath, if this is the one who casts out demons, if, uh, he, then he's not going to drown in a boat trip that he himself instigated. If Jesus has led them, then he'll get them to the other side. That's the fear of drowning. That's a bad fear. Now, you know, it's also the fear of God. It's on display in the last verse. Fear of God. They recognize what this is saying. They were filled with great fear. This is a good fear. A recognition of of stunning power on display, of of the authority of God in the flesh, and fear that, that says, well, I need to sit up and take notice here. That's that fear. The fear of God. A fear that says God's at work and, and, and I'm not in control and he is. Verse 40 shows us that it's, it's, it's a test of faith, isn't it? They failed the test by seeing the storm and panicking. They failed the test also by seeing the storm and saying that, that Jesus doesn't care. Like he's somehow apathetic. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Yes, there are some pluses. There are some marks that they've, that they've got. Some good points. Some brownie points. They, 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 they turn to Jesus. That's a good thing. But they're marked down on fear and feeling forsaken. Do you know it's okay to say to God that, that, that it's difficult when it's difficult? It's okay to cry out to God in the storm, but it's not okay to question his goodness or to say that he doesn't care. And they're also marked down here, aren't they, on faith. On faith. Think back to the theory, remember? Think back to what they learned earlier in the chapter. Uh, The the parable of of the soils, the parable of the seed people call it, Tells us that, 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 what, that the sewer, sorry, that the, it tells us that, that, that what's going on on the inside is really important. That's the parable of the soils. The parable of the, the seed then continues as, as, as Jesus teaches them that, that, that God's at work in the heart and in the hidden places. And the lamp parable, which of course teaches us that, that it's all about Jesus who reveals God and reveals the heart. And then we've got the storm, which is the test of this. The practical test. Can they see beyond the surface problem? 
Or are they despairing that he mustn't care about them? Somewhere along the lines, they, 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 they've dropped off his list of who to look after, you know. No, that's not what's happening. Is, 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 is believing faith lacking on the inside? That's the real issue. Despite the external troubles, what's going on on the inside? That's the test. Faith is confidence in God. Faith is confidence in, in Jesus. It, it's a perspective that says, I'm going to pass this test. God has given it to me and he is at work. He is in control of all the days of my life. Good days and difficult ones. We read it this morning, Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Faith says that. That the trials and tribulations and persecutions or the cares of the world are not going to stop me from bearing gospel fruit in this. From, 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 from showing faith in God in this. Faith is the opposite of panic. Faith realizes that it, it may not even go away, you know, whatever it is. And whether it does or doesn't, I'm still going to trust God. I'm still going to trust him. And the disciples need to, to look to their great example in this, don't they? Who, who, who's confident in the storm, who, who knows that God has put him there, uh, who, who can sleep easy because he's confident of God's will and, and, and plan through the storm. Through the storm. Alan and I were out with the invitation team the other week and we met this woman on the door and we knocked her door and she answered it and she was clearly a Christian lady and she goes to another church and she said to me this she said to us this there, there, there's no such thing as a bad day because God has given me it and he is a good God it's ours from the Lord and so we respond to it in faith no matter what comes no matter what comes the test, the examiner, the results and finally we've got the lessons what are the lessons from this uh, well-known miracle of Jesus? Well, first of all, it teaches us to redefine safety. Jesus leads us and he promises to get us safely to the other side, just like he did with the disciples. Do not let the fear of possible occurrences in life in inhibit you and curtail you from your primary goal of serving God. You are a Christian if you have believed in Christ and trusted in him and turned away from your sin, you're a Christian and your God is God himself. You're not sitting on the throne and in control of your life. He is. It's not our way, it's his way. And he knows best. You realize that? Whether our days are long or whether our days are short, whether we face a healthy life or a troubled family, whether we be in shark-infested waters or lying on a, in a lilo on the beach, doesn't matter. We don't know. But one thing we do know, David says in Psalm 27, I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He will get us to the other side. You know that? He will. We redefine safety. And also we put theory into practice. 
That's the lessons. It's not that, that, uh, that, that we're having difficulty because of, of, of disobedience. It could be, but in this case it's not. It's not always. It, it's often a test of faith. A test of the inside. You see, the greatest matter is not actually the trial. The greatest matter is not actually the storm. The greatest matter is what's going on inside you. The biggest issue of your life is that. That's the biggest issue. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust in God. Perhaps you're a Christian who knows all the right answers. You know, you know Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore I will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. And you know, you know Joshua 1 verse 9, it says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And you know Philippians 1 verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But you struggle to put it into practice. Is that you this morning? You, you, you know all the theory. But you struggle to put it into practice. And when trouble comes. Or, or, or even at the minute. Uh, you, you, you feel so inhibited. And you feel as if you can't, you're such a worrier. You're such a failure. What do you do? You bring it to Jesus. You bring it to God. You take it to God and you remember that it's okay to tell him that it's really hard. It's okay to, to even ask why. Listen to the opening words of Habakkuk. Not many people often read Habakkuk. Listen to the opening words. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Oh, or cry to you violence and you will not see it. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Many people are surprised to hear that that's in the Bible. <laughs> that sort of, why? Why? What's going on? There are many Psalms that, that, that don't come from a cold, sort of, doesn't affect me kind of look at the world. But, but, but an honest heart that, that's actually hurting Psalm 22 is probably the most famous of all. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or even Psalm 44, which is very interesting given what we're talking about this morning. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. It's an interesting psalm, isn't it? It seems as if God's asleep. Real faith is not aloof and cold to circumstances, not a bit. It's, it's okay to ask God why. It's okay to say, God, you know what? It's really hard. To do that is actually to show honesty. To display real faith is to be honest. But it's not okay to question his goodness. It's not okay to question his goodness. For he is the good God. You take it back to God. And you also bring it back to the gospel. When it's really. When you, when you struggle to, to take the, the theory. And put it into practice. 
You confess your, your, you bring it back to the gospel in that you confess your, your self-reliance and you ask God for faith to trust him more. You ask him to change you on the inside, uh, to make uh, his word dwell deep within you. Ask him to give you confidence like you see in, in Jesus here who's at rest despite the, the, the winds blowing around him. And you say, hasn't the Lord dealt with the greatest problem of my life? The problem of sin? Uh, And can't he then be trusted with all the lesser problems? Of course he can. And you ask yourself the question, did I just learn the theory or is it real? Did I just memorize it and it never really changed me on the inside and you say Lord change me on the inside and how you know is how you react to the storm in the practical you don't really know on the theory test because you know you could just have but in the practical it's no use to stay in the classroom we have to get out into the car or the boat To see if it's really went deep. God's word. Let's bow together in the word of prayer. Heavenly Father we we pray for your help to trust you more. In life's difficulties. If they're here and when they come Father. Give us faith to see you at work in a trial. And to say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, not in an aloof way. Not in a sort of, don't really care about anything or anyone. Or I'm not impacted sort of way. But in a way that shows that we trust you to be at work. And help us to take all those things we know about you in your word. Your word. And may it dwell deeply in us. And may it be real. And may it be the most important thing about us. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing our final song. It's Cornerstone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's join together as we sing this song and we close our service.